Good morning. Our reading is from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thank you very much, Joe. Um, we're working hard to try and get the live streaming worked out so that we can do different camera angles, so I'm rather enjoying being up in the pulpit now for a sermon. Let's pray as we uh, turn to think about those themes a little more. Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, and we pray now that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We are continuing our series looking at the Bible's teaching about the church, and particularly the uh, wealth of different metaphors for the church. I'll admit that I came up with the sermon series on the back of an envelope, really, because I was spoiled for choice with the rich variety of images um, to look at. The church is the people of God. That's where we started. It's God's building or temple. It's the bride of Christ and the body of Christ. And then we saw last week on Remembrance Sunday, the church is God's army in the spiritual war, which we're called on to wage. And maybe like me, you have that sensation you might get when you're looking at a whole bunch of photos of the same family grouping taken from lots of different angles. One snapshot on its own doesn't tell us the whole story, but the different slants taken together help, and having a number of different angles from which to view the church is a help. But you still might be wondering, well, hang on a minute, why exactly are we doing this? What's the point? Well, thank you very much for asking. It's a fair question. We normally try to take the Bible verse by verse and chapter by chapter. We don't arrange things into topics very often, just in case we end up deciding in advance what we think is important and then leaving a whole load of things out rather than 
letting scripture surprise us with its priorities. But once in a while, it is good to overview what the Bible says on a specific topic. And I really believe that the Bible's teaching about the church is a crucial topic for our day. I mean, that was actually true even before the pandemic. Culturally, a lot of people have marked this, we've been influenced by a consumerist mentality in many areas of life, including, of course, our church attendance. We become the consumer, the customer, and what we like becomes the benchmark instead of how God defines the church. Now, when our thinking shifts with the culture, it's sometimes so gradual we don't even notice it happening. But people have highlighted how that consumerist attitude affects our thinking about church seriously. So we needed already to look at the topic from the Bible's perspective, just in the cultural sitting we're in. Now that cultural shift, as I said, was happening before the pandemic occurred. And I actually believe that God brought it to our attention before the first lockdown happened. Do you remember we had the church weekend away right before the lockdown, almost as if, it seems to me, God was flagging this topic for our attention. Romans 12, we looked at, was all about church. And what we heard then has become even more relevant for us since then. Now we're isolated from each other, home alone for many of us, how we need the emphasis on corporate Christianity, which this topic of church gives us. So that's why I'm convinced that God wants us to focus on this. And nowhere is that truer than on the image of church we're looking at today. The church is a fellowship. That's our theme. Now, we had the reading from Philippians 2. We will come back to that for a vital point by way of conclusion. But the closest we find in the New Testament for the word fellowship being used as a shorthand for the church comes in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It's describing the early Christians just after the day of Pentecost. And I would absolutely love it for you to turn that passage up if you have a Bible to hand so you can see exactly what it says. Acts chapter 2, verse 42, which says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, actually it says, the fellowship, the definite article is there, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And we might struggle for the right word to translate fellowship there. It means literally to have something in common with someone else. Uh, people have said it's like shareholders in a company. You probably know that the full name for the store, John Lewis, is John Lewis and Partners. And that's because the employers of the company own the company. The partners are the employees, the ones that are delivering goods, managing departments, stacking shelves, working tills, answering phones. And with 80,000 employees, it is the biggest employee-owned company in the UK. Now, I think that makes good business sense. It means there's a, a, a great sense of buy-in for all the staff. What Christians, though, have a share in together is, well, it's a good parallel, but it's, it's better by far, it seems to me. Christians are partners 
who have the life of Christ in common. Christ lives in us by his spirit. We belong together and we belong to each other. And we've all got a part to play, giving and receiving in God's family firm. That's the fellowship or partnership which we belong to. And you get to see in Acts chapter 2 what it looked like. Let me read from verse 44 for a couple of verses. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. People have sometimes read into that snapshot of their life. Was this a sort of early form of communism or socialism, maybe? I confess that I get a bit muddled between the terms for the various political systems. There was one company chair, a guy called John J. Quinn, who was explaining to the shareholders' annual meeting at his firm what they all meant. Socialism, he said, is when you have two cows and give one to your neighbor. Communism is when you have two cows and the state takes both and gives you milk. Fascism, he said, is when you have two cows and the state takes both and sells you milk. Nazism is when you have two cows and the state takes both and shoots you. Capitalism is when you have two cows, sell one and buy a bull. Bureaucracy is when you have two cows and the state takes both, shoots one, milks the other, and then pours the milk down the drain. Sorry, I'm not sure my political science is really up to it much. But in Acts, anyway, this is not crypto-communism or socialism or any other label. It is fellowship. And it's pretty clear that they didn't ban private possessions. The possessions were still theirs to own or sell. They still had homes to meet in. So it wasn't possessions they did away with, but possessiveness. They shared everything, their time, their possessions, their joys and sorrows, their food, ordinary meals, as well as that special breaking of bread when together they remembered Jesus' death for all of them. They were in each other's lives, just as Jesus had been in the world, rubbing shoulders with them, and indeed was still in their world by his Holy Spirit. And their example in Acts chapter 2 is calling on us to commit ourselves to that shared life again. There's no such thing as a solitary Christian. We belong together. And that's what we mean by this word fellowship. It goes way beyond a quick natter in the church porch after the service. It's a shared commitment and a partnership. So when we serve in some way in church life, say by helping with the children's program, we're not just volunteering or going on the rotor. No, we're part of a team. We're working as partners in the gospel. If we make a response towards the gift day, it isn't just a case of paying our subs as if church was a club. We are partnering with God and each other in the work of this local church. And I was so glad that Miles highlighted in that video, I might not give financially 
but I can still and should still read the literature and share in the giving that others will do. If we give as a church towards our mission partners, we are identifying with the worldwide cause of Christ as shareholders, partners, with Christians in Uganda and Ireland and Beijing and Greece and even down in the New Forest because we've got real links with them. Now, I've seen that sharing in lots of ways in our church life, past and present. I think of one prayer triplet, which has had the same three men meeting for more than 20 years. And that, as soon as you think of a 20-year block of time, that, of course, by definition means that they have walked with each other through good times and bad as partners. I think of the outreach to toddlers, the parents and carers, which is on hold in one sense at the moment, but that has the hallmarks of a fellowship for the team of leaders, long-term commitment. Somebody like Christine Ayling, I think has been doing it as long as I've been a member of the church, 17 years nearly. There are emails pinging between them to change plans for how to support each other during lockdown, organizing meals for mom and so on. How about the Bible studies that happen midweek, even when they're on Zoom? I thank God for the ones I've been involved in because they are definitely Bible studies. They're engaging carefully with the Bible, but there's a crossover with real life, and we get to know each other really well because we are partners. I think of the path. This is just sort of random selection of things, but I thought of um, with... Uh, I mentioned from Sousa, the Pathfinder meetings that Ian and uh, Nick got organized over the summer on Sunday afternoons, which was obviously extra work for them and others slice out of their time to do that. But at the time, it was a significant part of the calendar for our church's 11 to 14-year-olds. They were looking forward to that event. It was a sharing with them. I thought of a couple of other initiatives, which I think in the past have made a real difference to us. Fiona Fletcher came up with a suggestion to have coffee once a month on Sundays in the North Building, which it wasn't a big deal in one sense to organize and to, to, to sort of come up with the idea, but it really made a difference because people could talk together in a more relaxed way or pray together. Get it? Sharing. Church lunches. I think that was her idea as well, as Bring and Shares, or Angela Palmer's work. Uh, linking people up in their homes for lunches. That has a similar effect. We're not just turning up in church and then disappearing again, but sharing the experience with each other beyond the limits of the sermon or the service. Or the way during lockdown, some of us have been willing to learn new skills, technological skills I'm thinking of, so that we can join in with online meetings and services. And that's a stressful thing for me and for lots of others, I'm sure. And of course, there have been others who've been involved in the training process for that. How about in families? I mean, you'll come up with other suggestions. I'm just giving you a long list just to give you the flavor of it. I often pick up clues about the fellowship which is happening in the mini congregations in our homes. And think about it, what an investment in the fellowship that is for the whole church and the wider church, given that our children have a lifetime ahead of them. So well done if you've invested like that as a parent or a grandparent or an uncle or an auntie or a godparent. 
or the admin life of the church. Um, this is a, a chance for me to big up David Brock's work. It's taken hours and hours for David Brock against the clock to produce a 22-page document for our application for the live streaming equipment that we need for church. And he's got plenty of other things to do. And the emails have been crisscrossing, not just, of course, from him, but lots of others in Shelford and in Ely. And that, it seems to me, is partnership. Because that team are convinced that streaming the services really matters, and it's what God wants us to do. So things like that, I could have gone on. It would have sounded a bit like the church's annual meeting again, wouldn't it? Things like that, they indicate to me that we really are invested in each other. Incidentally, that's why when things go wrong in church, as they sometimes do inevitably, it hurts us so much, doesn't it? That's the flip side of us wanting things to work well. Well, let me emphasize, as I know I have before, that partnership and fellowship flourishes when we meet consistently over time with the same fellow Christians from the same local church on Sundays and in smaller informal gatherings as well. So my first challenge to us this morning from Acts chapter 2 is, will you devote yourself to the fellowship? See that language, Acts chapter 2, verse 42? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And the flavor of that word devoted is sticking at it, persevering, enduring in it. Will you devote yourself to the fellowship, this fellowship? As a little hint, will you fellowship intentionally after the service today in one of the breakout groups? And ask yourselves in those groups, how can I be devoted to the fellowship right now? Now, I mentioned that this sort of fellowship and partnership assumes an investment in our shared life as believers, which flies in the face of our consumerist, what's-in-it-for-me culture. I came across a a quotation from C.S. Lewis, which was very apt, ahead of the time, It must be more than 50 years ago he wrote it. C.S. Lewis wrote this book called The Screwtape Letters, where a senior devil is trying to train a junior devil to trip up a young Christian. And here's one strategy he recommends. He says this, If a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or connoisseur of churches. And he goes on. The search for a suitable church makes the man a critic where the enemy, by which the senior devil means God, wants him to be a pupil, or we could say, I suppose, disciple. In other words, a disciple of Jesus and a partner with other disciples. So let me ask again, will you devote yourself afresh to the fellowship? But as a footnote, let me phrase the question slightly differently. Will you devote yourself to the Lord Jesus? And I promised we'd come back to Philippians chapter 2. I'd love you to turn to that uh, if you have a Bible to hand. 
and we are going to look briefly at it. We'll fly at some height over the reading we had from Philippians chapter 2. So I'm going to model it myself and uh, turn in Philippians, turn to Philippians in my Bible. Philippians chapter 2. Now, you will see that the commands in verse 2 that the Christians in Philippi make Paul's joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. That is the language of sharing and fellowship. And it's obviously the opposite of the what's in it for me or me first attitude, which he warns against in verses 3 to 4. Selfish ambition or vain conceit or looking to your own interests. So there's a call in the middle of the passage there to give ourselves in selfless fellowship to each other. But before that, in verse 1, is a reminder of all that God has done for us and for every other Christian. When he says there, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion... When he says that, those things are not in any doubt. Maybe they will have encouragement from being in Christ, maybe not. No. He's saying, since you do have all these gifts by being Christians, including, notice, the fellowship, literally, of the Spirit. God has shared himself with us by his Holy Spirit. Since you have fellowship with God through the Spirit and you have the joy of being comforted and loved by God, then have that kind of partnership with each other. Fellowship vertically has got to show itself in fellowship horizontally. And it's much the same point which follows on as well from the commands that we looked at to start with. When you get to verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who absolutely didn't think me first, look after number one. No, being in very nature God, he humbled himself to be made a human being. He humbled himself even to die. He humbled himself even to die on a cross, bearing our sin, putting others ahead of himself, providing for our forgiveness by paying for our sin. When you think where he started from, no one else ever descended so low because no one else has ever come from so high. And God vindicated him by giving him the highest name of all, raising him from the dead, exalting him to heaven. So as every knee bows to him and every tongue acknowledges him, well, of course, that ends all our rivalries and brings us together. Now we're going to say those words from Philippians 2, that lovely hymn, together in a moment as our creed today. But get the flow of the passage, please, in your mind. In the middle, you've got the call to fellowship with each other. Either side of that call, beforehand, a reminder of our fellowship with God in heaven, and afterwards, a reminder of the life and death and exaltation of Jesus, who brings us together as we all praise and adore and worship him. Now, there's an old illustration. 
that I've nicked from somebody else. I think it's a, a Mark Ashton special, this. Um, and it seems to me it's so, so apt to try and make this point. It gives me my chance to bring out my visual aids for the day. Uh, imagine that you have um, a couple of Christians, A and B. I love this. who are, if you like, at the rim of a bicycle wheel with Jesus um, on the hub at the center. Now, we tend to think, mistakenly, that the activity of fellowship is for us to try and get together on the rim and to make approaches to each other. It doesn't tend to work. If anything, it might just cause a tug of war. So that's not what we mean by fellowship. What we mean by fellowship is this. That as we both, Christian A and Christian B, get closer to Christ, As that happens, as we draw near to him, as we cultivate his mindset and enjoy his amazing love to us, that's when we find that we're drawn closer to each other as well. So I asked earlier, will you devote yourself afresh to this fellowship? Perhaps I should have phrased it differently. Will you devote yourself afresh to Jesus Christ? Uh, in the marriage situation. I probably should have uh, said this earlier. We sometimes think we need to look into each other's eyes. Well, yes, that's not a bad thing to do. But the real challenge will be to draw closer to Christ individually. And then, of course, we find ourselves brought together. So not just will you devote yourself afresh to this fellowship, but will you devote yourself afresh to Jesus Christ? It is what we share in him that promotes our sharing and partnership with each other. So let's devote ourselves afresh to Jesus Christ now as we say the creed together. The words are going to be on the screen for us to follow. Let's affirm our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, together. Though he was divine, he did not cling to equality with God, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a slave. He was born in human likeness. He humbled himself and was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has raised him on high and given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, and every voice proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Amen. Well, our closing hymn this morning is an invitation for the mind of Christ to dwell in us.